I'd like to start tonight, by, or tonight, this afternoon, I mean, by reading a story that's kind of a Sunday school classic. So if you'd turn with me to the book of 1 Kings, if you have a Bible and if you have something to write with, that'd be great too. Book of 1 Kings, uh, chapter 18, and we'll start in verse 36. So I'll just give you a second to get there. What we're about to read is kind of the crowning moment in the prophet Elijah's ministry, right? Remember this story? It's a great story. The showdown between him and the prophets of Baal. And what Elijah does is he calls all the people of Israel together and he says, you, you may remember this, you know, are, are you going to follow Yahweh? Are you going to follow the God of Israel? Are you going to follow Baal? Now, Baal was a, a false Canaanite uh, God that was worshipped by many. And so he says, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to set up a sacrifice, one for Baal, one for the God of Israel, and whichever one is, is ignited will know that that's the, the one you should follow, that that's the winner, so to speak. And so the prophets of Baal are, are dancing around and cutting themselves and doing all sorts of crazy things to try to get their, their sacrifice to ignite. And there's some funny moments here. I'd love to read the whole story, but I, I, we can't camp out too long. But where Elijah begins to sort of mock them, and, and then he, he finally says, okay, it's my turn now. And that's where we're going to pick up right here. And here's what we read, 1 Kings eighteen thirty six. It says, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell down and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And then all the, the prophets of Baal are rounded up and killed, and the rain comes again right at Elijah's command. It's been a drought for three years. And it seems that everything, or it seemed that everything that Elijah had been praying and hoping for was beginning to come through, to come together, to come true. And then we read this, starting in the very next chapter, in chapter 19, verse 1. Read with me. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And we have this scene that unfolds where Elijah is communicating his bitter disappointment to the Lord. You know, that he's the only faithful one, and now they're even trying to kill him. What happened to this triumphant moment that we just read about? I mean, Elijah, th things fell apart for him pretty quick. Well, I think after this triumphant moment, Elijah expected a certain fairly immediate result. 
He expected that there were, most likely that there would be this national repentance and returning to God at what had just happened. You know, that's what every Old Testament prophet longed for. And it seemed, as I said earlier to Elijah, like he was on the cusp of this finally happening. But what he got instead was the same wickedness of Israel, the same on the run from the Lord, same old stuff. And so what was supposed to be this great moment of triumph turns into this moment of disappointment and disillusionment instead. Elijah wanted an answer now, and when he didn't get it, he was disillusioned and disappointed. I think this is a vivid picture of what it sometimes is like to follow Christ for us. We have expectations of something quick and immediate, but when it doesn't go the way we expect, we're discouraged by it. And nowhere has this been more true, at least for me, than in the area of prayer, which is what we're talking about tonight. I want to be very transparent tonight that when I saw on the schedule that they had asked me to speak about prayer, I thought, oh no. I mean, I'm, I'm the missions guy, right? Uh, I just don't know that I have a track record of faithfulness in this area to really come and speak from that position. And I know that speakers that come and talk to you, they always say things like this, right? But uh, I think objectively, this has been a weakness in my life. Every year I do this thing called a year in review. It's a great habit if you want to pick up uh, something in journaling. And what I do is I write kind of key events of the year, lessons learned. And I've been doing this for about 20 years now. So it's amazing to look back and, and, and at the things. But one of the things that I do in every year is, is make some goals, And about every year, I make some goal related to prayer for the coming year. And then almost every year, I get to the end of that year, and I look back, and I say, I don't feel like I've made a lot of progress in this area. But this year, as I looked back, I saw a little movement, a little direction in my life that gave me hope. I don't know what the difference was, if maybe I just got to a greater place of desperation to see the Lord work in some areas of my life. But I want to share with you some lessons. I mean, I could, this almost be sort of, here's my journal for the last few months. But I want to bring out some lessons from this year, and I hope we can learn together. So let, let's pray to, to begin our time and, a, and ask God to guide us as we look at his word and discuss these things. Lord, you know where every single person's heart is in this room, what they need, what they need to hear from your word, whether they need to be challenged and exhorted in some way, whether they need to be encouraged. But for each one of us, Lord, would we begin to center our identity, um, our purposes on you, God. You know, this, this endless cycle of guilt and disappointment and hoping and disappointment and guilt. It, uh, it's not of you, God. We want to really live in, in the freedom of your grace, and we want to connect with you, God. We want to have faith and believe that you can transform us, and you can you impact people out of that transformation. So Lord, would you guide us? Would you, would you guide me? Would you guide each one of us here through your word and, and speak to us? And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I don't know where you're at in this area of being faithful in prayer. Maybe you're knocking it out of the park. 
But I'm going to go out on a limb this afternoon and say that I'm guessing there are probably a lot of people in this room that would say, yes, prayer is so important. And yes, I feel like I don't do very much of it, or I wish I did more of it. This is an all too common issue for believers. We've heard many times, like other subjects, how important this is, but we struggle to be faithful. And I hope, if nothing else today, that I can give you some hope that there is the possibility of growth in your life. I just want to give you a little infusion of hope in that area. But first, I think we need to diagnose the problem, right? That's often where we have to start, an honest assessment and a diagnosis of the problem. And I've been trying to wrap my mind around this year. Why, why do I hear so many Christians telling me prayer is so important, but I don't feel like I'm very faithful in this area? And, and I wondered at first, is it because we're just so busy in our modern times, right? We don't, have, we don't have enough time to do this. But then I began to think about it, and this was particularly relevant during our uh, quarantine days that some of us have been through, how people would tell me they were able to binge watch an entire you know, Netflix season in one weekend, and I thought, maybe this isn't a time issue. So is it a priority issue then? Well, yes and no. It's not a priority issue in, the, in that I think virtually all of us would say prayer is a priority. It's, it's important. We should be doing it. So the issue isn't that verbal or mental acknowledgement, but rather the issue is following through on that belief. So what I want to do this afternoon at several moments is give you a chance to stop and to think, and to do a little writing. So this is going to be your first opportunity. So here's a question I want to ask you right now as you think about what I just said. What, why, why do you think we struggle to be faithful in prayer when we know it's important? Right, so I'm, just give you, I'm going to give you about a minute, and you can, if you've got a journal or something you can write in, uh, just put some thoughts down to that, and then we'll, we'll move on from there. So Go. Probably a lot you could write here, but let me just jump back in and interrupt you. You feel free to continue that when you get a chance here. Maybe there's more that God's speaking to you about that. I'd I'd love to, I mean, if we had maybe greater technology or ability here just to put some of these up here, maybe you wouldn't want me to do that, but uh, I'd love to see what's out there. But uh, maybe you wrote about, I just feel like I need to be more disciplined. This is a discipline issue for me. Or, you know, I just need some different habits in my life or some accountability. And those are all great answers. I think there are a number of lifestyle changes we could make that will help us in faithfulness in this area. Things as simple as when you go to bed at night or kind of the schedule you have going on so you can carve out some time. For me, often there's an issue of concentration, right? So I need to get up and move and walk around or write things down as I'm praying for them. Or I like to pray when I drive. For some reason, when I'm driving, I, I can concentrate more in, in that moment. So there are a lot of practical things that you can do, I think, to help you be more faithful in this area. But I'd like to explore this issue tonight from the perspective— tonight, I don't know why I keep, You guys originally put me in the night slots. So all my notes say night. <laughs> this afternoon, whatever time of day it is, we're going to explore it. I'd like to explore this from the perspective of faith. I may be stating the obvious here, but prayer requires faith. And wanting to pray, having that desire to pray, also requires faith. Because prayer often, it it does not provide an instant feedback for us. 
right? We're praying to an invisible God. We're often asking him for intangible things. God, would you work in my heart? Would you work in their heart? Would you lead them to know you? But as I said, we don't often see the instantaneous result of that prayer that we're asking. We praise God. We thank him. We don't visibly see him, at least in, in my prayer life, visibly see him say, ah, you're welcome. Appreciate that. You know, we, what's more is that we sometimes pray things and they don't turn out, at least the way we can see them, they don't turn out how we had asked. And I think we have an enemy who takes all of this and uses it to erode our faith, especially our faith in prayer. And so we spend more time doing things that do give us direct feedback and we talk about how we wish we prayed more. I believe that if we could see what is happening in the unseen world, we'd be highly motivated to pray. But that's not how it works. So if you want to grow in prayer, you're going to need to develop faith. Particularly in two areas, I believe you're going to need to develop faith. Here's the first one. You're going to need to develop faith that God is at work in unseen ways around you. In response to your prayers. Okay, faith that God is at work in unseen ways around you in response to your prayers. In fact, the, the Bible uh, defines prayer much in this way, or defines faith, excuse me, much in this way. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. Now this is primarily talking about things that are not seen because they have not happened yet, but I think this is also true of things that are we haven't seen yet because they're happening in the unseen world where God is at work. Okay, so that's the first thing. The second thing you'll need to develop faith in is that investment now in prayer leads to harvest later. Okay, that, that's often how prayer works. We invest now and then there's a harvest later. Look at what Galatians 6, 9 tells us. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now the immediate context of this passage is financial giving, is helping people in that way. But I think it's just as applicable to prayer, that we we invest now in prayer and we reap later, often. So if you want to persevere in prayer and not maybe just get fired up at this conference or first semester... You're going to need to seek to develop these two types of faith. So how do you do this? Well, let me give you some food for thought. There's prob- this is not an exhaustive list. There's probably a lot that you could already think of. But I'd like to give you a few items that are maybe, maybe you wouldn't think of. A little bit of food for thought, if you will. Here's the first one. If you want to develop this kind of faith, you'll have to lower your appetite for instant gratification. Okay, we, we just talked about investing now to reap later. Another word for that, or another phrase for that, is delayed gratification. Now, what's the opposite of delayed gratification? Instant gratification, right? If you want to grow in prayer, you're going to have to decrease your desire for instant gratification and constant stimulation. Because if you hunger for these things you will find prayer very unsatisfying. I have found that where desire for instant gratification is higher, often desire for prayer is low. 
Okay, here's the picture that we see in the Bible about prayer. Let, let's look at a couple psalms. There's lots that we could look at. Psalm 37, 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 5, 3. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Psalm 62, 1. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. So as we see here, there's much in the Psalms and other places in the Bible that talk about waiting, watching, being quiet, being patient. These aren't instantaneous words, are they? But this is a critical part of connecting with God. But as you know, there are a few things in our modern society that are working against this. And a big one is probably sitting in many of your pockets right now. Now, I know that, I think at least if my timeline is correct, that smartphones have been around for most of your lives. So these probably seem very normal. But I assure you that they are a very remarkable and relatively recent development. My kids sometimes get confused about this when I tell them stories. And they say, but, but Dad, why didn't you just Google it? Or, you know, Dad, why didn't you just use your GPS on your phone to figure that out in the 1980s, you know? And I say, well, we, you know, we didn't have that kind of stuff then. But I have to be careful because then they'll ask me things like, Dad, did they have cars when you were a kid? I'm like, yeah, they had cars when I was a kid. <laughs> Speaking of which, I remember watching movies when I was growing up where people would go into the future, right? You know, these kind of movies. And, and often they would go to this time period that we're in right now. And almost always... Everybody had flying cars, right? Remember that? But like Back to the Future 2, think about something like that. And I've wondered sometimes, like, what happened to the flying cars? Like, why didn't this work out? That'd be, that'd be kind of cool. Well, as it turned out, the big leap forward that we took was not primarily in the area of transportation, but in the area of communication, right? I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that these things that we all carry around are the communications equivalent of a flying car. I mean, it, it is amazing the amount of people and information you are instantaneously connected to. I was thinking about when I first went overseas 20 years ago, I would record messages to my parents on cassette tapes and snail mail them back to the United States. I mean, that was, that was what I was doing back then. We've made tremendous leaps in a short amount of time. But all of this is very dangerous if you want to lower your appetite for instant gratification. Because what's happened with the invention of these things and, and other things, it's not just the phones, is that we never have to be bored again, right? Isn't that great? If you're sitting there with nothing to do or waiting for your friend or a conversation isn't that interesting or the sermon isn't that interesting, what, you know, however you want to look at it, uh, you have instant stimulation right in your hands. You can scroll, play, communicate, view. I mean, you don't ever have to be without entertainment and stimulation right now. And it's hard to want to do much sitting and waiting and watching and being still when you have that kind of instantaneousness competing with it. 
we've talked a lot about this up in Wichita. We have a program there called the Training Center, which is for people who are considering long-term work overseas. So they come and, and we work with them and train them. And we had our first two guys, just launched this, we had our first two guys come through uh, this semester. And I noticed the first couple times we met with them, as we were talking, if there was a lull in the conversation, perhaps just out of habit, they would, you know, they'd start kind of looking at things. And so we had to make this rule. We tried not to be too heavy-handed, but we made this rule, and we all agreed on it. And when we're together, or when you're meeting with your mentor outside of this time, you, unless it's an emergency or something really important, you can't, you can't touch those things. And this isn't, I'm not just one of these, you know, you, you kids these days kind of people. This isn't a young person issue, okay? I'm just as addicted. I'm with you guys on how addictive these things are. I had to be ruthless in my own life. I mean, I, last September, I just took everything interesting off my phone. You, you name it, YouTube, social media, email. I disabled the web browser. And I just wanted to remove that sort of instantaneousness. I figured if it was that important, I could wait till next time I got my laptop out. And it kind of felt like I was breaking a crack cocaine addiction. I mean, it was, it was scary how challenging this was. I mean, the statistics of how addicting this stuff is, it's really scary. So I, I know I'm getting into the weeds a little bit here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to my point. Don't worry. But all of that to say, you'll need to think about how to lower that appetite if you want to see that desire for prayer emerge. Okay, so now it's, it's your turn again. I kind of camped out on phones. There's other things that are feeding this desire, this hunger for that. So I want you to take a minute and, and brainstorm and answer this question. What are some ways that you can lower that appetite for instant gratification to let that desire emerge, to, to be waiting and sitting and watching with the Lord? Okay, so I'm going to give you just about a minute and just brainstorm a little bit. Let me bring you back, back here. Hopefully you're able to come up with some good ideas. I'd encourage you to continue that brainstorm and even talk to your peers. They may have some, some thoughts, some, some ideas, or even maybe able to keep you accountable on some things. I know I need that sometimes. I started doing things like driving around silently in my car. You know, no music, no podcast, nothing on. One of the training center guys this is particularly challenging for him and we challenged him to take a 24-hour silence and solitude retreat. And I saw him the next day, and he said, that was good, but man, that was hard. <laughs> so, so we're lowering our appetite for instant gratification. But we'll need to do more than that, right? We'll need to build some faith proactively in there. So how do we do that? Well, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. And we'll start right in verse 1. So Luke 18, 1. This is one of the parables that Jesus tells. It's often referred to as the parable of the persistent widow. I'll just give you a second to get there. Let's read Luke 18, 1. <coughs> Excuse me. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. 
And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, he will, find, will he find faith on earth? Okay, so I want to highlight two things from this parable. Lots and lots we could unpack here if we had more time. But here's the first thing I want to, I want to highlight. It's, in this passage, it's clear that we have a God who listens and responds to our prayers. Right? What do verses 7 and 8 tell us? And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Okay, so if we tend to doubt, and we, we all do at moments, a response from, Lord, from the Lord to our prayers, let God's word speak to you on this, that he is a God who listens and responds. The second that I want to highlight is what we see in, in verse 1. Jesus told his disciples this parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So like this persistent widow doesn't give up, even though faced with this obstacle of an unjust judge, and be careful not to think that this judge somehow represents God. In fact, he's juxtaposed to a God who cares and is willing and eager to listen to us, unlike this judge. But if even this unjust judge will respond, how much more so our God? And so in the same way that she is persistent, we also should be persistent or faithful in continuing to pray. Why? Because we have a God who will listen and respond to what we just talked about. In fact, the final line of this passage tells us how important it is that we persist in prayer. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, when we first read this, it seems a bit disconnected, kind of out of nowhere, that, that Jesus says this. But it's connected to what he's just been talking about. That Jesus is looking for people with the faith to not give up in prayer and seeking God. So again, I know I'm stating the obvious, but prayer requires faith. And in particular, persevering in prayer requires faith. And if you feel like you aren't right there right now in in your faith, I have a very simple strategy for you. Here it is. Ask God for faith. Daily, repetitively ask God for faith. Now some of you are probably thinking, you know, did I need to come all the way to life impact to hear someone tell me if I need faith, ask God for faith. But it really is that simple. This doesn't have to start with some massive, complicated personal growth plan in your life. In fact, I mentioned earlier that I've seen, I feel like I've seen some direction and some growth in my own life. Here's what I did. I didn't have a brilliant strategy. This is what I did. Every day, usually as I was driving to work or in my quiet time maybe, I asked God to develop my life in four ways. And one of them was faith. 
I said, God, give me the faith to believe that you're at work in the unseen world around me and that you're responding to my prayers, that you're listening and responding. Give me that faith, God. When we believe that we have a God who truly listens and responds, our desire to pray is is radically changed. Now, I, I prayed for other things. I prayed for my family. I prayed for my work mobilizing college students. I prayed for unreached people group. But every day I asked for greater faith. If you're curious, the other three areas I prayed for were purity, gratitude, and loving people who were different than me. Now, on any given day, I probably could not have told you how I had grown in faith in response to that. But looking back a year later of that investment, I I see fruit in my life. I see change. I see direction. Over the year, I found that the more I prayed this very slowly and subtly, the more faith began to grow and emerge. But it was highly repetitive. I mean, it's amazing, right? Prayer works. I know I'm, I'm stating the obvious, but it's, it, 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 that investment works. But it was highly repetitive. Highly repetitive. And I, some of us feel a little bit weird about repetition, right? That maybe somehow it doesn't feel quite as sincere. Or maybe it's just boring to pray repetitively for something. Or sometimes we get into these kind of mental head games, you know, that like, well... Doesn't God already know? I already asked. He hasn't forgotten. You know, what, what's the point exactly? But let's think back to the parable that we just read. What did we learn? God isn't looking for creative prayers. He's looking for persistent prayers. People that will pray over and over again. So don't, don't get caught up in the mental gymnastics of this. Think about 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. What does the scripture tell us? Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. And if you invest in that, there will be fruit in your life. The wonderful thing about faith is that it can grow. If yours isn't where you want it to be in response to this, it can grow. But there has to be a corresponding investment. It's your turn again. Let me give you a couple minutes again. And I want you to brainstorm this year. Uh, then, you know, it can be two, it can be four. There's no magic number here. Some areas that you would like to invest in persistently asking God for to grow in your life. So, go. funny I'm sitting up here thinking to go back to instant gratification even a minute and a half standing up here in silence is awkward isn't it (laughs) I'll let you come up here in tribes it's funny how used to these things we are well I pray the Lord works in your life in these areas if you're still thinking you certainly have time here after this to do that but I want to talk to you about the final thing that, that I hope will help you persevere in prayer. And that is being okay with a little mystery. Prayer is mysterious in some ways. Now, what God has asked us to do is very clear in in persistently praying. But how he chooses to respond sometimes feels mysterious. And this is because we lack the perspective to see everything and the foresight to fully see everything that God is up to. 
When we pray, we're communicating with a loving and all-powerful God, but we're not in control. He is. And as we know from his word, his ways are above our ways. It's not some Christian cliche. It's actually a wonderful reality of life. I mean, imagine if we were praying to a God who was limited to only do what we could hope and ask for. He would be a weak and limited God indeed. Now, should we stop believing that God can answer prayers right away? No, by no means. I've seen God work quickly, directly, immediately on a number of occasions. We don't lower our expectations. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about increasing our faith, not lowering our expectations. A phrase that's helped me this year, I see somebody wearing it. We use this with our summer teams that uh, we were working with online this summer. It's Ephesians 3.20. Starts now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Here's the great thing about prayer. If God decides to answer in a different way or on a different timeline than we have asked or hoped for, it's because he's doing immeasurably more than we've asked or hoped for. And sometimes immeasurably more is disappointing right now, if we're honest. Sometimes it's painful. And, and I get that, and I'm not minimizing that in any way with what I'm saying. And our friend Elijah experienced that same disappointment. But there's a great passage that I love where Elijah finally saw it. Where he finally got it and understood what God was up to. Turn with me. We'll, we'll close with this passage. Turn with me to Luke chapter 9. If you were in 18, just kind of head back a little bit. Luke chapter 9, verse 28. You probably remember the story of Jesus going up on the mountain. Peter, John, James, and he's transfigured. And here's what we read in Luke 9, 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up on a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. And who showed up? Here's who showed up. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. And I can just imagine Elijah standing up on that mountain, talking to Jesus about how he was going to die for the sins of the world and rise again. And I imagine him saying something like, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. What Elijah wanted to see was a nation repenting of its wickedness. But what he got was better. He got the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Can I challenge you tonight to believe that we have a God who listens and answers our prayers? A God who's worthy of our focus and attention, who's worthy of our faith, and to believe that he can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. I'm going to close us in prayer, and then I just want to give you some time. I don't know... We've got plenty of time till our next thing, so I'll give you a good while, and then I'll let 
Megan or Kurt or someone kind of transition us. But I'm just going to give you a moment after I pray to, to talk to God. You have some things here written down. You can add to them if you'd like. And to pray through those things with the Lord. So let me pray with you and then I'll let you pray on your own. Lord, we, we want faith. We want to believe unseen things. Lord, we want to believe in that which has not yet come to fulfillment, in that which we cannot visibly see. Help us to build that faith in each one of us. Build a faith in, in the investment that will lead to harvest in our lives, Lord. Pray you would help us to be still and to listen and to quiet ourselves and to lower that appetite for instant gratification, Lord, and to, to long and hunger for prayer and to be with you. Help us to be persistent, Lord. And help us to trust you when, when things don't always work the way we thought, when they, they're a little mysterious to us, God. We believe you that you do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And we want to we want to put our trust in this moment. We may doubt in other moments, God, but in this moment we're going to put our trust in that and we're going to try to continue to put our trust in that truth about you, God. We believe that about you. And I pray this in your awesome name, Lord. Amen.